Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thank God for David Attenborough with Ben Elwood. Hi, 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 everybody. Welcome to the final episode in this season of Thank God for David Attenborough. My name is Ben Elwood, and my guest today is Australian icon and all-round awesome human being, Sir Rove McManus. You all know Rove from his decades on screen, stage, and radio. But what you might not know is he is the International Vice President of the Conservation Foundation, Flora and Fauna International. He's also one of the biggest nature nerds on planet Earth. I had a great conversation with Rove about our shared passion for the natural world, keeping in touch with your inner kid. And he also managed to blow my little mind with stories of his encounters with gorillas, as well as his interactions with the great man, Sir David Attenborough himself. You are a living legend, and on that, what what would you like your legacy to be? No legacy at all. Uh, if people look at the programs I've made over the past 50 years, it may well be that there are sites there that couldn't be filmed again. I just hope that they are there, and that therefore the value of my legacy has diminished because it's still repeatable. That would be my legacy. That I would be proud of. That thing you were just telling me about of, um, you know, doing the artistic pursuit more for for yourself than for external validation. Yeah. And it's a fine line between actually doing Lip it service. and trying to convince yourself that that's what you're doing. Mm. And you tell yourself, but it's not until after the fact that I went. No, I went, out for, I went out for dinner with a friend of mine at the end of it all. That was my big thing was like, I've been speaking my truth. I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased that I wasn't just saying that because I've been happily holed up in, in WA where you're in your nice little bubble and yeah, yeah, yeah. can be the big fish in the small pond. No, this really is me saying I'm so happy with where I'm at and creatively what I'm putting out there and, you know, the risk of getting too, oh, let's all put crystals in our pockets about it. Um, like it feels like it's manifesting stuff because – you know, now I'm. Oh, it does. Putting like creating and putting things out there, and it's coming back now. Last two months have been really busy, but at the same time, it comes to an end at the end of this month. Mm. 
which I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> you know what? Sounds dumb. I miss my dog. I miss just walking no, my not, dog on dumb. the fucking beach every Dude, day. But that's why you're able to do this stuff, like to fully actually lean into the I'm doing it for me and I'm doing it for yeah. you. Because you actually have some kind of nourishment of your soul outside of needing to wait till 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock every single evening to walk out on stage and be validated by 300 strangers who, yes, you know, yes. like that. I think that's the, you know, when I talk about the sickness or the mental illness in comedy or even just performance in general, I think if you if you can't find some kind of fulfillment or fullness anywhere else, you're never going to find it there. You'll find it temporarily. Mm. Like you'll have that hour or whatever it is, or five minutes, ten minutes or whatever, where you transcend and you're – but you know, we know so many people and I think I've been like this and maybe you have as well where you, you feel it, you're connected and literally you're half a step off the stage and like you yeah. bottom back out into, oh yeah. shit, everything sucks. Oh my God. Who am I? What am I? Da, 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 da. Whereas if you have something in your life that is nourishing you outside of that, it's just another thing that you are doing. Mm. Yeah. It's just another pleasure that you have. Yeah. It's not the one and only life raft that you have to cling to. Because that's when it gets, gets terrifying because you think if that's – well, you don't have control over that. Mm. If that's where your pleasure comes from, yeah. if your pleasure is not internal, if your pleasure is not in the everyday, if your pleasure is not just sitting down and seeing a bee buzzing around and just watching it and just going <laughs> and then for a moment just going, oh, isn't that amazing? Aren't bees incredible? Yeah. If it needs to be something that you get externally, yeah. well, you can't guarantee yeah. that that's always going to be there for you or you might reach out and it doesn't give you the same return that you're expecting yes. and used to. Yes. Then what? Well, I think that's the. I think that's the, then you're then you're in trouble. But I think that's the sickness that's kind of infected a lot of uh, oh, people sure. these days, where it's this externalization of self worth, and you know, <laughs> constantly checking the feed and how many likes. And even when I put when I first put this thing out, you know, like all of a sudden, oh, someone man. who's very not into the internet was suddenly, you know, like oh, refresh a cast. How many downloads did we get today? Let's look at the graph. How how far mm. into the episode did they get before they got bored? And all of a sudden, it's like that's not the reason you're doing this, mm. you know, and all of a sudden you adopt this kind of like cloying desperation and like I'm convinced, uh, I don't know where I'm spiritually or religiously or anything, but I am convinced that the, the universe or reality, it's like a cat, like the more needy you are, the more it's repelled by you. <laughs> you know? That's you know a what beautiful I mean? way of putting it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it knows. It's like, oh, just piss off, man. Like sort yourself out. Yeah. And and what you just said about the comedy, I think it's that just kind of being like, it's cool, man. And you're saying you did your best shows ever because it's like, yeah, just let it let it flow, let it calm yeah. rather and than trying to grab you know, it. getting reviews that I looked at in disbelief. I got a five-star review on a show that I didn't know I had reviewers in because they all came a night early. So they Why came you got to the a five-star review? <laughs> and probably. And I'm not a five-star review guy. Even at the height of my powers, I'd never got five stars. Mm. I just thought by pure virtue of who I am and, and my standing in the business, I'm mm. just not a five-star review person right? because I'm commercial and broad and mm. I've had success in television. So therefore – it's just impossible for me to get a five-star review because people would just say, yeah, the, you, you did well and you got up on a stage and that's all we need from you, three stars. And you go, great, cool. That's, and that's fine. I get that. You know, I'm happy just, you know, I'm not a one-star guy. So, I'll, I, you know, I've made a very good living from being a three-star guy my entire career. So, yeah, anyway, it, it has been a very wonderful, freeing place to be. 
Hi, I'm Rove McManus, sometime TV personality and comedy type person, uh, international vice president for Fauna and Flora International, and massive David Attenborough fan. So I didn't know this about you until very recently, but the depth of your passion for animals and the natural world is Mm. probably more profound than most people I know. Do you think that that passion is what helps you keep in touch with like a childlike wonder for the world? I think so. And I think it's the the whole Attenborough motto, isn't it, of when people say, as he often will say, people ask, when did you get into nature? Mm. And I will say, when did you stop? Yeah. And that's really it, isn't it? Because you think from such a young age, any kid, uh, nature and animals in particular, Mm. is what is thrust upon you. Yeah. So in every spelling book, it's, you know, A is for ant, B is for bear. You know, their room will be plastered with all sorts of plush toys that are all animals. Um. I will always, always remember like going through books and before my daughter could speak, she would she was making the noises because you do the noises for animals. I was always very proud of the fact that she could do a zebra when, you know, she would see a zebra and she was like when she was even a little baby would do the whoop, 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 Really? Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we taught it. I mean, you know, here's me going, you know, as the, the nerd dad. <laughs> Well, technically, it doesn't neigh. This is, you know, or everyone goes, zebras don't make a noise. Well, they kind of do. But the first time we ever went to the zoo, she's around one at this point. Yeah. And we saw an elephant and the elephant has trumpeted. And in that moment, she, her eyes have just Mm. bulged. Mm. And she's looked at me. She can't even speak at this point, but she's looked at me and I immediately saw in her this incredible epiphany of, oh, that's why you make the noise. That's why yeah. whenever you see an elephant in a book, you point at it and you go, yeah. and I and my arm goes up and like, and you realise yeah. Yeah, we never put things in context for kids. We yeah. do, when we point to a picture of an elephant and go, that's an elephant. It's in a book next to, it could be you know, A is for apple, B is yeah, for yeah, ball. Yeah. Okay, well, what is an apple? How big is an apple? E is for elephant. Okay, do I eat an elephant? Does an elephant eat me? Do I, is an elephant just a fictitious, is, is, is it like a dinosaur? Are yes. they long gone? Yes, yes, yes. So the idea that she has seen an elephant, gone, I get it, that's an elephant, and then heard the noise, mm. just watching all of this click into place for yep. her was extraordinary and such an eye-opening thing for me that I realised, yeah, just so much that we just put on to kids like this. How is nature not extraordinary? How is it not something that every day of your life is just this never-ending gift that you unwrap of another course, layer of, of and go, there's more, always more to learn. To see like a rainbow lorikeet get hit with morning or or afternoon sun and yeah. you just see the iridescent uh <laughs> light that comes off their feathers yep. you know that sort of thing or you can't i cannot understand myself how people don't find that connection with nature and for me i can find it in in certain species like birds but other people it might be 
you know, you go down to the park and you see everyone walking their dogs and you go, oh, or it's a basket full of kittens or, yeah. you know, I hope for some people it's like just being in a forest or yeah. or seeing it like a big fucking old tree. Like having listened to this show, <laughs> I want to know where your fucking secret tree is that you refuse to tell me <laughs> your favourite tree that you're never going to tell anybody exists. If you're ever in Newtown, I'll take you that tree. It is, man. <laughs> One of my day, big takeaways from this, like, where is, where would that be? Where would that tree Newtown be? Newtown Cemetery. If you're ever in Newtown, go to Camperdown Cemetery. It's at the entrance gate. Oh, okay. Honestly, it is, it is... It's just one of those things. I just think, look, I think what you talk about is so true and I think the, peop- the, the, the resistance comes from familiarity. I think that kicks in at a certain yeah. point. You go through your adolescence where you're just like, yeah, whatever. And the answer to every question just becomes because it is. It just is. Oh, it yeah. is. It is like that. That's what it is. And hopefully you can shake that off at some point and regain the wonder. But I think for most people, the whatever just turns into like, oh, yeah, yeah. You see it. You see it all, all the time. I see it yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is a there is a level to which you become complacent. You just think, well, you know, that's every day. See it all the time. But to remove the context of familiarity and seeing it anew again and going, no, it actually is. Like, what is going on? This yeah, is crazy. Watching a child of any age marvel at bubbles. Yeah. And as an adult, you sit there and if you too don't marvel at that, like I just feel it's so important just to realise there is so much to see if you if you slow down. I love that I have that. I don't know, I don't know that I necessarily lost it. I feel like probably in my late teens, early 20s, yeah. there was probably a level to which, I mean, I've, I feel like I've always been able to march to the beat of my own drum and I haven't really lived the majority of my life worrying too much about what other people think. So I don't think I ever got felt like, oh, this is this is daggy. I think about loving nature and being a figurative and literal tree hugger. That um <laughs> as much I don't think anyone gets super cynical about it. They might sit there and question like why are you so deeply into it? Yeah. Like people are about anything. Yes. Um but I don't – even when they have that, I've never, ever met a person who when they have those one of those moments, no. like you see a fucking dolphin breach out of the water yeah. or even just suddenly, you know, you just see a puff of water come out when it's whales coming, migration yes, or yes. something. Who doesn't sit there going, oh, my God, wow. Can you think of any uh, like really profound or notable experiences you've had with a particular animal? Uh, eye to eye with a whale shark is extraordinary. Gorillas in Rwanda. Wow, and, and tell Uganda. me about that. Oh, my God. So the connection that I have with Sir David started in 2000, or officially started in 2008. So I had I had interviewed him before with the TV show I used to How do. How dare you say that so glibly as you wave your hand around? Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. whatever. <laughs> you know. But I'd always had this thing of you know I want to meet him one day, and it was like, well, if I if I die or or he does, and this is probably twenty years ago, mm. you know, then I guess I can take that as well. I have spoken to him, but it was on a satellite interview. We weren't in the same room, and mm-hmm. it's not like I got to talk to him before or after. Yeah. But then I had these 
random guys turn up to my office one day saying we are from uh, the world's oldest conservation organization, Fauna and Flora International. We've been on this planet since 1903. Wow. Wow. Our uh, lone international vice president is Sir David Attenborough. The Queen is our patron. And so David Attenborough is our international vice president. Mm. We are opening a, a sector here in Australasia and we would like you to be our second international vice president. <laughs> what? Are you interested? And I'm like, wow, man. Well, that's the dumbest question anyone's ever asked me. So I was like, yes, absolutely. Wow. Where do I sign and how quickly can I meet Sir David? <laughs> So through them, and they have numerous projects in numerous countries to protect wildlife, and one of them is they are in charge of, they, have, they were responsible for bringing gorillas back from the brink mm. in uh, Rwanda, Uganda, and the DRC uh, in what are called the Virunga Volcanic Mountains. Mm. And this is, it is called the uh, Virunga impenetrable rainforest for a reason. So we did a trip there to do a hands-on visit on let's see how this works. And it's it was a tough slog getting up to where the gorillas were. But then suddenly like you you know the, the guides are in front, you've got a guide in front and then one that's with the group and the guide in front's like okay they're just up here. Everybody, Man, leave goose. all your stuff here. We're going to walk in. And there's like all these rules. Don't get too close for these various reasons. Leave all your bags behind. You can't take any food up with you because yeah. it attracts them and you just need to keep your distance and what have you. And then you just sit and you watch them. So we were sitting in this very darkened canopy of rainforest and then you just hear this crashing sound and and <sighs> in they come and there's just... <laughs> And it's a huge troop of them, this big family group, and enormous silverback. You just suddenly, out of nowhere, you just keep walking in then because you're following the group and then he's obviously waiting and he's just sitting and like a king on the throne is just sort of sitting there, leaning on one elbow, just watching the family and watching us. And the guide is saying to us, he knows me. And he sees me as the silverback of my group. So nobody get in front of me because if you do, he sees that as a challenge. He trusts me. I've never challenged him in any way, shape, or form. So he is he's just going to leave me alone. And so long as you oh, guys stay with me, we'll be fine. Goodness. And we can just sit and watch. And we did. And these juveniles come running through. And they keep saying to you, you have to keep a distance. An interesting at the time, looking back at it now, it was 1.5 metres. It just seems to be, <laughs> we all know that now off the top of our head. But because their DNA, they share like 98% of our DNA, but they have no uh, natural immunity to things like colds and flus. So we, they can get sick from us very, very easily. So more than anything, that's why they say to keep your distance. But you, But they don't keep their distance from you. <laughs> so we had these two... They're not babies, they're juveniles. They're probably, I don't know, you know, the equivalent of like a two-year-old, three-year-old kid, but they're, they're tiny little black, hairy boulders tearing around, chasing each other, and they're coming past and brushing your leg because you've got nowhere to go because you're surrounded by trees. Mm. 
And then eventually, the and you're in the, all this dark and gloom and because of this canopy, and you're trying to take photos, but and but also be in the moment. But it's it's pretty dark. And then the silverback just gets up and says, "We're off." And he gets up and he moves, which means everybody moves. The family group just when he's had enough and he wants to move, everyone just follows him. And he's gone up this slope, so we have followed up the slope, and now somehow we're on top of the canopy in this beautiful sunlit uh, forest. And we're just everywhere you look, it's, it's like literal gorillas in the mist. They're just dotted everywhere. And you can just, and we just sat and watched. <laughs> and I did three days of that. Oh. And it was, it's just incredible to wow. the point where you can just sit and watch. You have that moment of get every photo you want and every piece of video that you want, but then just stop and you can literally just take it in. Yeah. And you look at these creatures and think, you know, how. Just how is it that you know, they're still hunted? How is it that despite all these protections that were in place, and we also at that because we were there for, for conservation reasons, we had a meeting with three heads of government from the three countries that meet in this, um, in this national park where this Virunga Mountains are. So there's three countries... So, yeah, Rwanda, Uganda, and the Democratic Republic of Congo, and they do not get along. These are almost practically warring nations, yet three emissaries were sent to sit and talk with us about guerrilla conservation. The only thing that brings these three countries together is this one species of animal, wow. and that's extraordinary. Wow. But, yeah, that that was one of those moments where, you know, I've, <laughs> I would like to think I'll get to do that again. And now I'm at the point in my life where for every great experience I've had, I want to do it again but take my daughter with me yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's way too young to do that now. It's, it's, it can be physically taxing depending on where you are. But day one was like it was a three-hour hike to find them. Day two was um, we started trekking and as we were on our way up the mountain, they were on their way down. So we were like had been walking for like, 10 minutes and then they said uh, oh the gorillas are coming everyone stop and we're like what like yeah yeah they're on their way to us we better get ready now and then uh, yeah and then day three was just and that by day three you can just experience it I don't need to take them I've got enough photos of gorillas now I can just sit and marvel at just you know you see you see a silverback you go you're vegetarian yet you are fucking jack brother (laughs) How much protein is in these leaves that you were eating? Holy shit. And then these just and it's, it's something, it's something delinquent little kids running around. All the, all the females are just resting uh, and the younger males are all resting. And then there's just these te- little kids running, like these little juvenile gorillas just wow. running around being little shits like any other kid would be, any, yeah. other, any other primate would yeah. be. Uh, and they're jumping over him and he's just tolerating it. But you think, but we heard stories of, you know, I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's a great story where the guide was like, the one time someone did step forward beyond me and was sort of seemingly like trying to get up too close to the silverback, the silverback who was perfectly still then just suddenly lunged at the guy, grabbed him in a bear hug or I guess gorilla hug. And literally rolled down the hill with him and then just let him go and just took off. <laughs> so just so never like didn't 
scratch or attack the guy, but just grabbed him, rolled down the hill and just let the guy go as if to say, that's that's a warning. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, warning. yeah, yeah. And just, yeah, I love that as a story. I, I, I trust it's probably true, but even if it's not, what a fucking Dude, great I've got goosebumps just hearing this. Is this, is this something that? And the like, only place in the world you can see them. These are mountain gorillas. Yeah. Any gorilla you see in a zoo is a western lowland gorilla. They've got more of a – you see a red sort of tuft on their head. The shaggier uh, mountain gorillas, which are far more endangered, there's none of them, none of them in captivity. They just really? don't. I, I, I think it's just well, – A, they're quite endangered and I think they just haven't found a way. It's the same reason there's, you know – no great white sharks in captivity. Just some right. some creatures just don't survive well in captivity. Um, but, yeah, the FFI organisation set up a program to protect the gorillas by teaching the community around them to protect them because if you protect them rather than clear their land for farms, if you protect them it brings in tourists Tourists bring in revenue and we will give you the revenue from, from the tourism mm. if you use it to put back into the community. So they now have roads, schools, medicine. Incredible. And a complete infrastructure built around the fact that it's all off guerrilla tourism. Wow. And, and what FFI does is come in, helps set that up for them and then steps back and says, now you take care of this stuff. We're not going to keep looking over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you have trouble, like if there's a change in political parties who try to rock the boat here, we will, as a, you know, older sibling, a protective old, older sibling that has a very loud voice on the, on the world stage, yeah. we'll step in if you need help. Wow. But otherwise, we'll let you go because you live here and you know better than us. So they will always take human needs into consideration, which is unlike most places will just go, put up a fence, stay out. Yeah. So it's uh, – So do you think that is the future for conservation in, in, in like a more realistic kind of, you know, I we can't so. I would off. like to think that – well, I, I would like to think that it involves humans. Yeah. Because – if not, it won't work. You know, I've been to parts of the Amazon that have been cleared that are that are deemed a protected site, a World Heritage listed site, and they've been cleared because no one no one's in charge. And if you look at a map of the Amazon rainforest for what it was 10, 15 years oh, ago, dude, I can't. Yeah. And you would say, here is the here is the line that no one is meant to cross because anything other than this is protected. It's getting eaten away around the perimeter because, well, it's just we'll just clear a little bit further in, and no one's monitoring it. So until such time as something like the Amazon, which is, I hope we're at a tipping point now, where having just the ability to carbon capture with this. <laughs> with all of these trees is more valuable than the literal land. Uh, we have to reach that point or otherwise, you know, I sometimes look at, you can see in some of Sir David's more recent doco films and series, there is a despair now in yep. him yep. that he, he does speak up about, but he he always has this sense of hope, but I feel him he's seen it my god you think how long he's been on this planet he's he has seen it but he's also seen 
he's seen gorillas almost these literal gorillas that I went to see in the same area. He was like that, you know, the classic scene of, mm. of him in amongst them and showing people that they're not these terrifying beasts that um, they were down to, you know, being in triple digits of how many were left in the wild. I think that that sequence is uh, obviously that that's the you know the most famous David sequence. Yeah, but there's a part in that that no, I don't hear anyone ever talk about, and it's the most profound moment for me, where he's doing his monologue and you know, consummate professional never breaks monologue. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen that one where he gets attacked by an elephant seal, and yes. even even yes. in that yes. it, like, oh, he fights. Oh, oh. <laughs> like, dude, that thing's coming at you, and you don't even break monologue. Uh, and he's talking, you know, the gentle gorilla family. Mm. Da, da, da. And then there's this moment, it, it makes me cry every time I watch it, where he, you see he's locked eyes with a gorilla and he just kind of trails off for a second and mm. he just, he's like, the, the gorilla, da 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 and then he just stops and he just goes, ooh. And I can only interpret that as he's having some kind of, you know, whatever you want to call it, quasi-spiritual mm. moment where he's connecting with this animal. Mm. And then, he, you know, he comes back into his monologue and it's just... <sighs> If there was a possibility of escaping the human condition and living imaginatively in another creature's world, it must be with a gorilla. The one I like is, I think it was the first Blue Planet, but it's one that gets a shot that gets used a lot in a lot of his other ones since. Is him on the boat and he turns to camera and goes, The blue Blue whale! (laughs) Because that's the first time he ever saw one that close. And the euphoria, the childlike euphoria. You do obviously still get excited. Well, there's such there are such wonderful things that really make your pulse throb, you know. I still love one of my favourite sequences you have ever shot was at the start of, I think it was the first Blue Planet series, where you saw a blue whale Uh. up close for the first time and it just felt like you were pulled back to being the small boy who collected fossils and bird's eggs at his house. I can see its tail just under my boat here and it's coming up, coming up. Well, I mean, I tell you, if, if you've lost the appetite to see uh, a, a blue whale that doesn't impress you for the very first time, the biggest animal that ever, ever appeared on, on this planet, much bigger than a dinosaur, you know, and this suddenly comes up from the ocean. Ah, what an extraordinary, unforgettable, really, and what a privilege. I can never have dreamed it possible. I never forgot. Yes, look, you know... I have had the opportunity to to converse with him on on many an occasion, and the one of the greatest <laughs> things about being in the presence of Sir David Attenborough is he gives you all of the stories you want <laughs> without you having to ask for them. <laughs> the first time I actually got to properly sit with him was purely social. We, there was a lunch that was organised, one of those, you know, if you're ever in London... And so we were going to Cambodia to go see forest elephants. As part of the organisation? Yeah. Yep. But on the way went via London to see yeah. him because they were like, well, we can set up a lunch for it. I was like, well, then that's what we will do. And even he was joking. He's like, how is this going via 
you know, we went via London. He's like, from Australia to Cambodia is like pretty much a straight line. <laughs> this is yes. a very big detour to take. And as I, you know, gushing, I want anything to see you, Sir David. But now, you've gave- met, now, you've obviously, you have interacted with, you know, all the famous people. Is there any sense of anxiety or nerves or... Frog in your throat anticipation before you meet someone like him? Yeah, you just, I, it's like being on a first date <laughs> where you're like, I just hope that they, they like me and I hope that I don't, I don't say something stupid. Yeah. And like every, every word that comes out of your mouth, you, you hope you don't trip over your own tongue mm-hmm. or just gush too much. Cause it's also like he, he must hear it every day. And I think it's that double whammy of he hears it all the time and he is, I th- you know, it, it seems as though he balks against that. It's like it's not actually about me. Yeah. He, you know, th- there's a humility and a, and a, and a yeah, level so of heaven to him. He's incredibly inquisitive about what well, I found. He was incredibly inquisitive about me and, and my background and he was asking what I did and, and he was like just fascinated by, like he's fascinated by what I was doing. <laughs> So he's like, so you do this show, and he's like, how does it work? And um, and he's like, how many people work on the show? And I was like, oh, we've got this many people. And he said, how, how is that broken down? I said, we've got this many staff to this or that. And I said, I think we like, and we've got 20 writers. He's like, what? I said, 20 writers? He goes, yeah, well, I've got 20 writers. He said, do you know how many writers I have? I said, no. How many? He goes, one, and it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, righto, righto. But just so, so... Um, Disarming. Mm. He, I mean, he he had already been there uh, meeting with someone else beforehand. So yeah. when we arrived, we were joining in with them. So he was already in the room. It wasn't, I, which I think was better than us yes. sort of nervously, yes. you know, <laughs> shuffling cutlery around and <laughs> you know picking at a bread roll before he arrived. He was already there, so we just sort of came and joined in. Um, but yeah, at one point he. Because uh, obviously then it just, you know, the, the conversation naturally lends itself to, you know, well, we're talking about nature and, yeah. you know, well, this is, we were on this conservation trip and he's like, well, how did you get involved? And uh, just, it, it just naturally comes up yeah. anyway. Yeah. So then uh, I can't remember exactly what I said, but he, he turned to me and he said, have you studied zoology? I said, no. And he said, well, you certainly know a lot about the natural world. <laughs> and it was the greatest compliment I've ever been paid. I've been knighted. And then I couldn't help myself and I said, well, that's all because of you, Sir David. Oh. So I was like, if he's going to say that, I'm going to repay the, conf- uh, the compliment. And then as my wife likes <laughs> to point out afterwards, we, when everything was wrapping up, we, we ordered coffee and someone gave him my coffee by mistake. Mm. He he started to just stir it, and then realised, oh, this is like a this is doesn't have milk in it. And so I said, I think that one's mine. So we handed it over, and then my wife leant in and went, Sir David Attenborough stirred your coffee. <laughs> and she will to this day. She's like, oh, you know, if anyone asks about the first time we met and we had that lunch. <laughs> And I try to always go with the, he, t- he says, I know about zoology. And she's like, he stirred his coffee. <laughs> like, righto. But, yeah, he's got all the, you know, you get a, all the, you, you're thinking, well, I want to ask about the gorillas. What mm-hmm. was that like? And mm-hmm. you, you get it just all 
because he and he just tells it like, well, there was this one time I was with gorillas. You're like, yeah, mate, it's the most fucking famous <laughs> footage in the world. <laughs> Oh, you've been with gorillas. Oh, okay. Do tell. Oh, yeah, sure. It's like, of course, mate. We've we've watched all of these stories. How did he? Re- do you remember how he responded when you paid him the compliment back? Like oh, he he just he just kind of nods, like, like okay. just like, oh, that's very that nice of you. Enough. But um, he doesn't he doesn't want he doesn't want to talk about himself as Sir David Attenborough. Yes. in all caps. He. He just likes to talk. He just—it's his life. It's—it's it's what he does. It's what he knows. It's yeah. You know, he's—he's he's got so many life experiences, mm. and I do not know anybody else on this planet that has had such a profound um, effect and has touched so many people, no. like. I've had so many occasions to be in in the same room as him, both, you know, on a on a professional basis, on on a on a you know a, a less I wouldn't say personal necessarily, but certainly you know when it's not you're not part of a function of people yes, or something, yes. a more intimate setting. And across the board, just no matter what the age bracket, the oldest from the oldest person in the room to the youngest person in the room, yeah. everybody knows who he is, and. A sea of people will part when he's in the room. You feel the energy shift. Last time I got to speak with him was maybe 2019, I think it was. So a couple of years ago. And there was a couple of other people in the room with me who who had never been in contact with him. Mm. And everyone was like pretty cool. And as soon as he walks into the room, you just feel everyone's ah, ah, You're talking about him now like he is the Eastern Lowland Gorilla. It's a bit like it's <laughs> like, like contact oh, with him. The, the silverback. <laughs> and um and it was one of them. And then we were doing an interview, and then the interview was done, and he and I just kept chatting afterwards. And uh I had said to him, Oh, I there, there was a uh a, a function that uh, I was going to attend with him. Uh you know, he, he's been awarded so many things over the years. Mm-mm. So I was there to help to to host an event that he was being presented something for. Mm. And then there was going to be a QA thing afterwards. And and they said, uh, we're getting questions from various members of the organization or you know, people that are associated. Yes. And so we'd like you to get to ask a question. And if you since at the time I couldn't be there, they just said like, you know, just want to write it in. And uh, I was like, what do you ask? Like if you said you got one question to ask him, like what is it? And I just went, what what would it be? What would it be? And the event ended up getting cancelled. So I didn't have to worry about it. But I had a thought about it afterwards. And so once this interview was finished, it was just he and I just sitting and we had a, a coffee afterwards. And I said, uh, you know, I said, do you remember the event that was, was meant to happen? And I said, oh, I was going to ask a question and I did have that thought of what do, what do I ask you? I feel like every question you've been asked a thousand times, but I had to think about what it would be. And you could just seem like, okay, <laughs> batter up, what do you got? And it was uh, in, like in all the years that he's you know seen species come and go and the idea that, you know, 
there's the downside of extinction, obviously. Mm. How many creatures he has seen that have gone. Mm. But at the same time, things like the the coelacanth, like which I think was one of the first ever specials that he did in the 50s when they rediscovered this mm. seemingly prehistoric fish that's come back. Yes. Something that you thought was extinct that never, you know, possibly never existed or whatever is back from the brink in modern times was just groundbreaking. Is there anything that you think could still exist a la the Loch Ness Monster? <laughs> but any of those sorts of things that you think could have an element of truth to it. Yeah. From all you have seen and all you have witnessed. And he looked at me and he went, well, I don't think the Loch Ness Monster because of all the scientific reasons <laughs> yeah. of a creature like that couldn't survive in that lake. The population would need to be too diverse, blah, 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 blah. He said, but there is one. He said, I think the, the Yeti in particular is one that definitely existed and could possibly still exist. Definitely existed. Definitely existed. Whoa. He said, because we know in that area of Eurasia, there was a giant primate. And I looked at him and I went, Gigantopithecus. And he, <laughs> it was like I hit him in the G spot. He's like, he's Bro. upright and he's like, Bro. his eyes lit up and he's clicked his fingers. I'll never forget this. Clicked his fingers and pointed at me and went, Gigantopithecus. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just one of those things I was just like, this is just me and him. And this is like, well, I've just recorded a half an hour interview with him, but this is what I will take away with him going, you're talking my language. Dude, no wonder you've come to a point where you're content with your life. What are you talking about? Gigantopithecus. Which was this, essentially it was like a, a <sighs> giant orangutan. So hairy, but, but like eight feet tall yeah. primate that, would have given rise to the idea of there is a giant hairy man walking around. And I was so pleased to go, I'm glad that this didn't get asked by someone else on a stage at an event I couldn't be at. Yeah. And how wonderful that I just get to ask that to him yeah. face to face and just have that little moment. It was wonderful. It's and beautiful. just validates every nerd fact that I've ever shoved into my brain over the years. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. 
Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So at this point in your, in your career and your role as a filmmaker, do you feel the evolution now is that you've gone from being the person who uh, introduced us to the natural world to then becoming the person who educated us about the natural world and now the person who's informing us about the plight of the natural world. Do you feel that would be safe to say? Um, well, yes. I mean, I've had such privilege in life, you know, and I've seen all these things. And if, if I've been, had this privilege and was aware of what was happening in the natural world and didn't bother to say so, I mean, that would be culpable, would it not? I mean, I, mean, I have to say these things. They are very important. I mean, that, <laughs> the, the human weight is approaching a crisis. This is not fun. This is not uh, um, fiction. This is, this is a, a huge problem and of impending disaster that we have to face. And if, if I'm aware of it, because of the, the way in which I've lived my life, and didn't say so, would that not be criminal? He is such a contemporary thinker. Like, you look at the, the first documentaries he was shooting. He's literally grabbing a giant anteater by the tail. Mm. Like, he, he would take a bush baby out of the wild and take it home and raise it in his backyard in London. And he would be the first to say, we didn't, we didn't know any better. Yeah. We had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his job was to go and capture animals for the zoo. Yes. His series was called Zoo Quest, yes. which is... You know, there was no breeding programs because most of these animals people didn't even know existed. And yet as he's moved on, he hasn't gotten cynical. He hasn't sat there going, well, back in my day we could catch stuff and now we're not allowed to yes. boo-hoo. He's not outdated in any way, <clears throat> shape or form. It's all come down to how much he loves nature. Mm. And back in the early days he just thought, well, this is how you do that. Yes. You grab it and you put it in a cage and then everyone can look at it. Yeah. And he has since learned that there are better ways to do that now mm. and better ways to share that. And with technology comes better way. I can just take a camera and get that for you and then I don't have to bring the creature back with me. And, in fact, I can attach it to a drone so the animal's not even aware that it's exactly. being filmed. So it's not even being disturbed yeah. on that level. So that that part of it too is like he's not jaded uh, and he's not in any way outdated with his thinking on on how we should be appreciating and conserving the natural world. Do you think that... Because I find in my own life and my own passion for nature and the more I understand about the kind of you know, deep time and mass extinctions and just the ever-changing nature of reality, I find that I'm able to go at the flow a lot more. And that's that's something I feel like I've learned from him. You know, you talk about this evolution of him as a human being from, you know, being kind of like the last of the great white hunters mm. in the into the wilderness and, and what he is now. Um, and I do think that it's that. I have to assume it's that connection to nature and that understanding of the finiteness of your existence and all of the rest oh, yeah. that, that kind of allows you to tap into that a lot easier. Yeah, I think I, I, I was reading an article once about um, bison and how their numbers were being depleted in the US. Mm. And there's so, it's just one of many animals that unfortunately – yeah, there's a very good chance we'll be gone even in my lifetime. Mm. You know, tigers are in 
big trouble. You don't realize how many creatures like, you know, there's not as many orangutans as you think or even, a, you know, an animal like a lion. You go, there's heaps of lions. Lions are everywhere. They're actually not. And some are a lot more worse off than others. Mm. I've seen the sadness of meeting the world's last northern white rhino. If you ever see a rhino in a zoo, chances are it's either a black rhino or a white rhino. Most of the ones you see are white rhinos. They've got the wider sort of square mouth, not the pointy little lip, but the the wider mouth. Mm. If you see one of those, they are a white rhino, always 100% southern white rhino. Northern white rhinos are practically extinct and they will be extinct probably within the next couple of years because there were three, a male and two females. Mm. They were being kept safe in a uh, nature reserve Mm. in Kenya that was protected uh, and poachers were constantly trying to get in to the point where they had rangers with rifles who would just be an escort every minute of every day to protect the last three of these rhinos. Uh, And then Sudan, the male, just through old age, passed away. And just like that you go... That's it. There's only two females. They collected a whole ton of sperm beforehand, so the hope is that they can keep it going and they are Mm. working out a program where maybe there's a way of using DNA to create a a northern-southern hybrid potentially, but the chances of there being pure northern white rhinos has disappeared before our very eyes. Mm. So now there are literally two northern white rhinos left on the planet on the planet, not even in zoos, not even like, oh, these are the only two in the wild. The only two left on planet Earth yeah. are in Kenya yeah. at the old Pejita Conservatory, two and they're females. That's it. Like that's mind-blowing. How do you square yourself with stuff like that? Like do you just kind of feel it and then push it to one side because how do you marinate in that all the you time? Do, you like, what do you do? You have to sort of balance out the the – I think it's important to know that. Like I, I use that yeah. as a lot as an example of people like don't just assume that because pretty much every zoo you will go in will have a tiger. Every every I, I very rarely there are you know as a hippo guy, not every zoo I go to has hippos. Yeah. I'm very and if they do, it's a pygmy hippo. And if it's a pygmy hippo, you put on your sign it's a pygmy hippo. Don't tell me it's a hippo because if I get there and I find it's a fucking pygmy hippo, it's a different animal. <laughs> That's like saying, oh, we have lions, and then you turn up and it's a sea lion. Very different. <laughs> Very different creature. Or a tiger with we a fake pandas. mane. pandas. Red pandas. <laughs> Bugger off. But tigers are sort of ones that I, I, I can't think of many zoos. I love going to a zoo. Anywhere I go, anywhere on the planet, yeah. I go to their zoo. And 99% of them seem to have tigers. Mm. So in your head, you sit there thinking, well, tigers are yeah. fairly common. And so I think it's important to remind people of how endangered animals are. So things like, yeah, there's only two of these northern white rhinos left. And if they go, it's just an example of it's not like we drew a line in the sand when we all became very aware of wildlife and the state of the planet. And, uh, you know, remember when we are all just, you know, you could hunt whales if you wanted to or you could go and, you know, mm. gorillas were on the brink of extinction or we, sh- we shot everything that we saw. Mm. 
we don't do that anymore. Aren't we just better pat ourselves on the back? Mm. No, we're, we're not. We're absolutely not. No, in fact, I would say that we are almost worse because there's more knowledge and yet it still happens. Yeah. I think when you're kind of ignorant of it, like you hear these, you know, like, oh, they killed all the dodos. And it's like, yeah, but they're also fucking in wearing powdered wigs in 40 degree weather. Like they're idiots. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, whereas now. And that's it, this- isn't it? This idea that, uh, well, yeah, that was. Yeah, we've we've learned so that the things like the dodo and the thylacine yes. won't happen again. You know, the thylacine was only not that long ago. Wasn't even a hundred years ago. Yeah. You know, nineteen forty, I think, yeah. nineteen thirty nine was like the the last thylacine. And they captivity. chucked the last corpse in a bin. Yeah, you know, it was just and it died because the zookeeper mm. left it out in the fucking in, in cold winter. Yeah. in winter instead of putting it in its enclosure at night. But we as human beings who think that we are in charge, there's a very yeah. If anything was to happen. And we're gone. Like nature will find a way. Nature will always win out. That's that's the only solace I take, dude. We're on the same page. It's the only. <laughs> it's the only. Like you know, you I look went, at Chernobyl and where that's at now. 100%. And there's like there's like the uh, uh, buildings are crumbling, covered now by trees. Wolves and deer are walking through there. It will find a way. Freeways in downtown Sydney being torn up by tree roots, you know, like it's that it's that churn of nature that gives me the solace of like, you know, when the, when the Amazon was being burnt down for soybean fields last year or the year before, I can't remember, I went into a real catastrophic depression. It was mm. very, very bad because it was kind of like, it was like the apotheosis of all of my doomsday, you know, like, my God, what are, like, what are we? What are we doing? We're some fucked up failed species. Like, mm. what other species cannot find any kind of equilibrium with its with its planet or its, its, its habitat? So it really took me to a dark place. But ultimately, you know, and I do, we are an extension of nature. And if the Anthropocene is the great, next extinction mm. then you know it's almost like we are these filaments of a conscious asteroid that is just decimating everything and we will you know we will cycle out you know i i, I highly doubt we'll be here in a hundred thousand years mm. well, whether that's through we've turned into something else we've hybridized with machines and or whatever it is or we just salt the earth and we're all dead but when you start thinking in the realm of deep time a million years is nothing yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and the idea that it could just all regenerate and in a million years there'll be billions of life forms that are exactly. all new and bear no and it similarity. Could be, and- you know, Ma Nature hits control, alt, delete, and something happens, some, you know, catastrophic extinction event. Mm. But that's, you know, it's happened before with an asteroid. Six that different out. times. Yeah. And it's not like life stops. There may be uh, a bit of a, a lull in activity, mm. but some something will win out. There'll be something that's in the right hiding in the right hole, mm-hmm. or is in the deep deep enough part of the ocean. Yes. There will always be something, and even if we completely somehow, you know, just destroy the atmosphere here, mm. they, at, at, to our detriment, something will find its way through because, yeah, and whether it's, you know, welcome to the rise of insects or who knows what. Yes, yes, yes. But there will, there will be a something. Yes. And I don't know. It's it, yeah. Would it be lovely if there were still, you know, uh, hummingbirds and pangolins and humpback whales and all of that? Absolutely. Yeah. But there's also been, a, you know, so many other species along the way that has come and gone and so long as it's just that idea of, well, look, nature itself yeah. That if I if I'm yes. saying, are you saying you just love hippos? They are my favorite animal. 
But, you know, uh, is, is that the only thing I love on this planet at the expense of everything else? No, I love, I love everything. What's, you know, flowers, insects, yes, birds, yes, yes, whatever's yes. in the ocean, great. Well, then that's when I say I don't just love animals, I don't just love birds, I love nature. Yes. Well, that's always that's going to win out. And that's whether right. whether I choose to extract human beings from the banner of what is technically <laughs> nature, which I sometimes do. Yeah. What, um, what, consciously or you think that we are separate from nature? No, I think just sometimes I feel like if you were to say, oh, well, you know, nature will win out or, you know, I'm here to conserve nature. I'm like, if that's at our expense sometimes, if it's, you know, I think if, if, you know, the idea of, well, we can't live any further than we can, or we have to have some kind of population control for other species to live on this planet. I say, yes, absolutely yes, fair enough yes, as, yes, as it yes. should be. And we should have, yeah. <laughs> we should be able to be responsible enough ourselves or have those in charge making the decisions be responsible enough. Yeah. Although to be honest, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't, the idea of, oh, we're, you know, there's a COP summit where all these world leaders are there and saying how many emissions and this and that. It shouldn't, it shouldn't come to that. It should just be. It's, I, I, I think what's happening now is we're, we're at a real juncture point as a species that our, 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 I think our, I really believe our consciousness is over-engineered and we've hit this point where as it was very necessary for us to crush nature for a very long time. Mm. You know, to get out of the caves, to build societies, to 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 fully uh, manifest the potential of our incredible consciousness. It's incredible, but now we've got toys that our monkey brains don't know how to use properly, and we're still in the main default to primate thinking. You know, that's my go away. Yeah. You know, piss on every pole, all the rest. What we we're really at a point now where unless we can transcend that and truly become human beings rather than human animals. Mm. That's, that's the bottleneck that we're in right now. You never in the history of the world have all the people of the world got together to deal with a problem. I mean, it's not, not surprising. History is about quarrels. History is about war. Well, now history has to become about peace and about, uh, about acting responsibly. That's what history should be now. And that'll be a great change in the history books and a change for the better. Do you have a lot of hope, like with the organisation that you're a part of and everything? Do yeah, you- I do. I, I, I actually do. It's that thing of, um, like, like the gorillas as an example. So going on this trip and, you know, I realise it's a very touristy thing to do where you're climbing up a mountain and there's a guide who's taking you to where the gorillas are. Mm. Uh, and it's, you know, it's an experience that you're paying for. And, you know, in the meantime, you're still, you're trudging over the mountain and you, you know, still taking your photos and doing everything like that. The very touristy stuff. And there is a part of me that would rather just say, yeah, there is a fence that says there's gorillas here and you're not, not allowed in. So the gorillas can just be. Yeah. So, however, if the awareness of the gorillas generates tourism, that helps conserve the gorillas, I see that as a good thing. Yep. So long as then we don't say, well, we'll do that for all the gorillas everywhere. Or all the animals everywhere. Or all the animals everywhere, yeah. exactly. It's like, you know, there are some that, that can just be left alone mm. um, and can be in a part of the world and, and you don't even know. Yeah. So it's good for us to know, I think, that it's it still is, it's a constant 
issue that we have to be vigilant about. Maybe I'm in my nature bubble and we're all in our bubbles. I think the last five or 10 years have really proved that we're all kind of, you know, need to step outside of those. But it does seem that there is a wider understanding that's starting to spread. And I do think it's a direct result of Mother Nature going, hey guys, like, get your shit together. I can wipe you out if I want. And obviously I'm not happy for any floods or fires or disasters or anything, but I think the benefit that has come out of it is I think it's suddenly a glass of cold water in a lot of people's faces Mm. where they they are suddenly, you know, I know so many people in my life, I've been banging on about the environment and environmental degradation and rah, rah, rah for most of my life and always got got that eye rolling kind of like, oh, here he goes again. All of those people are now suddenly, you know, like, oh, we need to vote for people that have good environmental policy. Yeah, and, and, it sh- and it should be something that is top of mind. But in also, as, as I was sort of alluding to before, it should be something that's not a political issue. No. It should just be something that, that is in the same way that, you know, you don't see anyone trying to get into a position of power by saying, well, my government stance is not killing people. Exactly. But, yeah, because we just, we just don't exactly. do that. Yes. It's just across the board, yes, there are laws and things like that, but at the same time, just we just don't do that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, and that, so that yes, there, there can be laws for you know if you do pollute or if you you know if you if you breach a, a carbon emissions um, line or whatever, yeah. that there should be fines in place. But across the board, there shouldn't have to be someone in power to tell us just treat the planet better. <laughs> Surely, yeah. It's but I, f- I feel like, I feel like it's there. I feel like I'd like to think that there's a generation coming through who appreciate that sort of thing a bit more. Oh yeah, I think the hope comes from, like, with so many social issues. You know, like when I was in high school in the mid '90s, incredibly homophobic. Mm. You know, like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> you know, and so as a, and, and you know, as a direct byproduct of that, you know, I had to spend a couple of years in my early twenties shadow boxing demons in my own head to go like, you know, to square myself. And go, oh, it's not weird. It's fine. Mm. But you know, that's a direct offshoot of the environment that you're raised in. Uh, and then you look at kids now, and it's like, why would that? even be an issue. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm talking in a very inner city kind of, you know, uh, there's still obviously big parts of the world where that's not the case. But, you know, from my experience, most young but people- But there's like, a generation who ge- will come through if if you're of the same sex and you want to get married, it's not something yeah, that has like, to be well, questioned. Yeah, why would you even, yeah, yeah, why yeah. is that, a, you know- And I, you just can, whether someone is happy with you doing that or not is irrelevant is it, because exactly. you can do it. Exactly. Like, uh, you know, you see that with social issues and I think it's very much the same with environmental issues. And to cycle it back to the documentaries, you really see – I don't have as much fun watching the new documentaries because there is always that turn where it's mm. like, hey, you know that animal that we've just shown you that you just fell in love with? Well, it's the last one. I think it's necessary and I think that the kids that are growing up watching that, that is just part of the narrative now as opposed to people like us who could feasibly watch a lot of these documentaries and be fooled into thinking it's fine. Everything's great. Yeah. I remember I watched the Madagascar series and this would have not that long ago. This was in 2011 or 2012 and getting to the end of that and going, wow, Madagascar must be this untouched, pristine paradise. Yes. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not. It's really not. Um, and so I think with the information more available to this generation, it's so much more incumbent to do something. Absolutely. And, and that's the hope. 
I, I feel that will happen. Yes. But for all the reasons that you mentioned, because I think you're right. Like that's, again, one of the other great things that Attenborough has done. Uh, In the early stages, just going, look at this. Did you even know that this creature existed? I didn't. Thank you, David. Look at this. <laughs> this thing is called the bird of paradise. Look yeah. at it. And this is in black and white grainy footage yeah. and the thing's up in the tree. But trust me, it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, my God, amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of that back then was uh, as you have sort of touched upon with uh, looking back on on one of his earlier series is that a lot of it was like, well, this is what we think happens. Yeah. And then as the years go by, they can say, this is now, this is more of what we, we actually do know to be true. Yes. It feels like there's more of an awareness now yeah. with the films that are getting made yeah. or the series that are getting made by Attenborough, whether he's front and center or his voice is over the top of it. That's more for a younger generation. So yeah. in the early days, these were all made for adults. I think he was mm. like 10 years in before he made his first Attenborough for Kids yep. television special. Yep. Uh, and a long time before they realized, oh, this is a something that, that children can watch. And that children love. And children love, yeah. absolutely. His shows were like the first nonfiction that my daughter watched that yeah. wasn't just some animated cartoon. Yeah. At the same time she's watching Peppa Pig. Yeah. She would watch, she would say, can we watch a Sir David? Ah, what a great kid, man. What was hilarious is like there was another time where I had the opportunity to go and see him and but I was on my way to London and saying to my daughter, I'm going to play on a plane, I have to go away. And she said, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to talk to Sir David. And she <laughs> said, is he a real person? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, you just hear his voice. He's just a, a disembodied voice. And I said, yeah, yeah, he is. And she has chosen in her her frame of mind, she she loves the ocean. She loves marine life. I'm a bird guy. She loves everything mm. under the sea. Mm. And I love that she has found mm. her own passion in, in nature. Yep. And so we watch a lot of um, documentaries that are based around the oceans. So she obviously connects him with a lot of that. And so she said, oh, he's a real person. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and she said, is he a marine biologist? And uh, I said, oh, no, uh, he's, he's looks, he knows lots of different things. And when I mentioned that to him, when I saw him, I said, I told my daughter I was coming and she said, is he real? And he, he had a laugh. And then I said, oh, and then she, her next follow-up was, is he a marine biologist? <laughs> and his, his response was, oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> and you think you have broken... A world record for how deep a human being can go yep. in a submersible. Yep. And you've still roll with the punches of, yeah. you know, I'm still just me going about, you know, I've got my messy hair. Yes. And my, you know, my chinos and my blue shirt. Yep. Um, just going, th going through my day-to-day. -day. Still, you know, embraces things like drones and 3D technology yeah, yeah, and yeah, all yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of stuff. I think it, goes, it it fully fully circles back to how we started this chat, or I think it's just that ability to exist in the experience for the sake of the experience without any kind of you know ego yeah. getting in the way. I think we could all take a leaf from his book, just how to live your life. Mm. Just embrace it, take every single tiny piece of joy that it brings mm. And use that to remain as glass half fucking full as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks, Rove. A pleasure, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
It has been an absolute pleasure, as always, Sir David. Uh, look, keep up the good work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank hey. you very much. What an absolute pleasure, as Thank always. Good so to much. see you. And you. Did you come all the way from Australia? I it? did. I did 20-something hours on a plane for you, so yeah. poor bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to the great Rove McManus for an awesome conversation, as well as being a great supporter of this podcast from the very beginning. If you too would like to help support Thank God for David Attenborough, please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a five-star rating or review. You can also share it with friends and on social media. All of that is a huge help in growing our audience as we move forward producing more episodes. I would like to send a big shout out to my silent creative partner, Sean Allen. He is the secret source in this project. He is my co-producer, co-editor and sound engineer. His passion and attention to detail are absolutely mind-blowing and this project would not be happening without him. As I mentioned, this is the final episode of this season. If you're new to the podcast, there are 12 other episodes to listen to. Awesome conversations with zoologists about everything from octopus, amphibians and reptiles to birds, marsupials and primates. Sean and I are taking a few weeks off to put together our next couple of seasons of the show. Follow us on Twitter for updates at TGFDA underscore pod or myself at Ben Elwood 11. That's Elwood with two L's. And if you subscribe to the feed, we will return before you know it with a little mini series about fossils and prehistoric life. And after that, a deep dive into ecosystems as we rewatch every episode of Planet Earth 2. Until then, I'm Ben Elwood. Watch more David Attenborough. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.